Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Joel Lawrence. Uh, my family and I have been part of Manual Covenant for about the last year. Chris is up at Snow Camp, and so uh, I'm just really thrilled to have the opportunity to open God's Word with you all today. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer as we come before the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for the opportunity we have to worship and to hear your word proclaimed. I pray that we would not take lightly the opportunity that we have to gather around the word. This is your spoken word given to us through the spirit of God. I pray now, Lord, that your spirit would be at work among us. Open our ears to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we don't really use titles a whole lot in our world, right? We refer to one another by, by first names pretty typically. You would call me Joel. I would call you whatever your name is. In some contexts, we use titles. When we're at the doctor's office, we refer to our doctor as Dr. Such and Such. Or maybe if you're in a, a classroom in a university, you'll call your teacher Professor Such and Such. But on the whole, we don't really utilize using titles for one another. But historically, titles have been a, a really important part of, of human society. And, and there's some really interesting titles that people have had if you look back kind of throughout history. I just want to share a couple of those with you as, as we begin our time. A lot of times these titles were very literal, very descriptive of, of a person. For, for instance, there was a, a king uh, back in the Middle Ages, who was named Charles the Bald. Pretty descriptive, right? I mean, you just kind of take a characteristic of the person and you title them with that particular characteristic. There was a, a, a king of, of Norway in the 12th century. He was Eric II, but his title was Eric the Priest Hater, <laughs> which we can imagine there probably wasn't a great relationship between Eric and the church. Right? So again, we learned something about Eric by, by that title. There was in 9th century Spain, a ruler named uh, Wilfred the Hairy. And there are some sculptures of Wilfred, and it looks like he's wearing a sweater. So this is how he clearly got his title. And then there's another Norwegian king named Harold Bluetooth. And he was called Harold Bluetooth because he had a dead tooth, and so it was blue. But here's a little fun fact for you. Did you know that, you know, that little Bluetooth symbol that we have on all of our devices actually came from Herald Bluetooth. They took the H Nordic letter and the B Nordic letter, and they combined that for the Bluetooth symbol. And the people who founded Bluetooth said, and this feels like a stretch to me, but this was their rationale for using this, that they wanted to unite devices like Herald United the Realms of Denmark. Seems like a, a, a bit of a, a stretch to make that connection, but that's what they did, and, and that's how we got this particular symbol. A couple of guys I feel really bad for, historically, there was Ethelred the Unready. <laughs> Not a lot of confidence in that guy. And there was Roderick, the last king of the Goths. Now, what I don't know is if that was a title that was given in, in retrospect, <laughs> Or when, if they were crowning him, they just looked at him and went, this is it. You know, there's no way we're going to survive Roderick. We're dead. 
right? It's over for us. But I think my favorite title is the title of Prince Philip. Elizabeth II's husband just passed away last year. I'm going to read for you the entire title of Prince Philip. And this is going to take up most of the time that I have. All right, here it is. You ready? His Royal Highness, the Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, Earl of Marioneth, Baron Greenwich, Royal Knight of the Most Noble Order of the Garter, Extra Knight of the Most Ancient and Most Noble Order of the Thistle, Member of the Order of Merit, Knight Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order, Grand Master and First and Principal Knight Grand Cross of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, Knight of the Order of Australia, Additional Member of the Order of New Zealand, Extra Companion of the Queen's Service Order, Royal Chief of the Order of Lagohu, Extraordinary Companion of the Order of Canada, Extraordinary Commander of the Order of Military Merit, Lord of Her Majesty's Most Honorable Privy Council, Privy Counselor of the Queen's Privy Council for Canada, Personal Aide to Camp to Her Majesty, Lord High Admiral of the United Kingdom. That, my friends, is a title. Right? That is a serious, serious title. It leads to a question. What's in a title? If you're taking notes, write this down. What's in a title? What do titles do? What do titles signify? Right? As we've seen in these examples, they signify a characteristic of someone. Right? Charles the Bald. There's a characteristic of Charles, and that became a title. When we use titles, it, it declares something about the person. Doctor such and such, or professor such and such. We use titles in a way that they tell us about someone. They, they give us a view of the person, maybe something that reflects something that we are to express about the person that is titled. Last week, Pastor Chris started a new series on discipleship called Follow Me. We're going to be looking at the, the book of Luke over these next few weeks and looking at a, a particular section between Luke 4 and Luke 9 in the weeks leading up to Lent. And, and in this section of scripture, we have stories of Jesus coming to people, Jesus engaging with people, Jesus calling people to follow me, calling people to be his followers. And in this stretch, we're going to see numerous accounts of how Jesus engages with people and how it is that he calls them to follow him. And in reading these stories, what we recognize is that Jesus is calling each of us to follow him. The call, follow me, isn't just a historical call. It's a present call. It's a call that each one of us has on our lives. We all follow someone. We're all, we're all followers. Maybe we like to think of ourselves as leaders, but we're all followers. We follow influencers. We follow politicians. We follow news broadcasters. We follow celebrities. We follow maybe successful people in our field that we want to emulate. We all follow someone, and the people that we follow shape the path of our life. And the question before us as we turn to Luke's gospel together this morning is who are we following? Who are you following? 
The stories that we're looking at today is found in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be looking at about the first eight verses of Luke chapter 5. It focuses on Jesus and Peter. We get kind of a, a zoom in here to an interaction between Jesus and Peter, and it, it gives us a tremendous amount of insight into what Jesus calls us to when he calls us to follow him. And it puts before us this simple but profound question, what does it mean for us to be disciples? What does it mean for us to be disciples? So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Luke chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1, we read this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of the Lord, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, the he here, of course, is Jesus. And as we kind of set the scene for this passage, we're in the northern part of Israel. Last week, Pastor Chris mentioned that the the section that we're working through here in, in Luke's gospel all takes place in this northern part of Israel, really around the region of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. And the, the lake that's mentioned here, Lake Gennesaret, is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. Same body of water. There is a plain called the Gennesaret Plain that Galilee sits in. And so this body of water had two different names. We're probably most familiar with Sea of Galilee, but the Lake of Gennesaret is the exact same body of water. And people are hearing about Jesus's ministry. More and more people are, are starting to get word about this guy who's wandering around and he's going into synagogues and he's teaching and he's, he's healing people. And so more and more people are starting to follow Jesus. And as we come to this scene, we see that he's at the very edge of the lake and there's a crowd that is pressing in upon him. And as the story goes on, we read in verse two this, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And we learn a, a couple of things in, in this verse. The, the first thing that we learn is that it's morning. It's morning, as we'll, we'll see in a little bit, that the fishermen had been out all night. And so Jesus is standing there by the lake and there's these two boats. It's morning time. The people are all around him. And we also read that the fishermen who owned those boats are not in those boats. They've left the boats and they're cleaning their nets, right? What's the number one rule of a trade? Take care of your tools. I'm not much of a, a tools guy. I'm not very great with my hands and, and repairing things. But even I know that the number one rule of, of working with tools is keep the equipment in good shape. So that's what they're doing. They've come in after a night of fishing. They're repairing their nets. They're getting them ready. They're going to get the nets in, in good shape and they're going to go home. They're going to eat a little bit. They're going to sleep so that they can then go out again all night the next night because this is what the fishermen of the Galilee do. So Jesus is standing by the lake. There's a crowd pressing in. There's two boats empty, a couple of fishermen near the boats, mending their nets. Then we go on and we read this in verse three, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, 
he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, Simon is who we maybe more familiarly know as Peter, right? Simon Peter, a little bit later, Jesus will change his name officially to Peter when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Lord and Jesus says, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. For now, he's Simon. The story refers to him throughout as Simon, but it's the same, it's the same guy. So again, like getting the scene in our minds, Jesus steps into a boat. He asks Simon Peter to help push out a little bit so that he can preach, right? There's a logistical thing going on here. The crowds are pressing in. He needs a little space. He steps into the boat, pushes out a little bit. There's also, I think, an, an acoustic effect here. Have you ever been on water? Right? Have you ever heard the, how the sound carries in water? When, when my wife and I were in seminary, uh, we would spend summers up at a camp in upstate New York. And this camp sat on a lake, and there was a little town near the camp. And on 4th of July, the town would shoot off fireworks, and we would go out in a boat with some of our friends to watch the fireworks. It's one of the most amazing experiences to be on a lake in the mountains, the fireworks going off. So the vision of the fireworks in the sky reflected off the water, but the sound. Right, the sound, the boom of the fireworks echoing across the lake in this kind of bowl of mountains, one of the most amazing sonic experiences I've ever had in my life. Sound travels. So Jesus is using this as a way to be able to proclaim to all of the people so that they can hear him. But with Jesus, it's not just about logistics. It's never just about logistics. With Jesus. With Jesus, there's always a plan. Jesus has a plan. Now, if you're Peter, what do you think you're thinking in this moment? If I'm Peter, here's what I am thinking in this moment. Man, I am almost done cleaning my nets. I've been out all night fishing. I want to get my work done. I want to get back to my house. I want to get a little bit to eat and I want to go to bed. I want to get some sleep because I'm going to have to go back out on the lake again tonight. And now Jesus appears with this huge crowd, interrupts my work, and now he wants me to push him out a little bit from the sea, into the sea. And Peter does this Peter knows Jesus. This isn't the first time that Peter and Jesus have met. Earlier in chapter 4, after Jesus had preached in a synagogue, he went to Peter's house. He went to Peter's house to have a meal. I assume that they're having pot roast, right? If they're Christians, that's what they're having because that's what you have after service, right? You go home and you have pot roast. So Jesus went to Peter's house for pot roast. And while he was there, he didn't just eat. Peter's mother-in-law was sick. And Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter has had experience with Jesus. He has fellowshiped with Jesus. He's seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law. I still think Peter's got to be annoyed 
at what Jesus is doing here. It's an inconvenience, right? It's an inconvenience for Jesus to step in here and to ask him to do these things. He just wants to go home. He just wants to go to sleep. I think it gets worse for Peter as we go on. And we read this in verse four. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Not just let's hang right here by the shore and then go back in and you can finish your work and go home. We're going to go back out fishing. We're going to go back out on the lake, Peter. And here's what it says in verse five. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Look, Jesus, here's the deal. I'm a fisherman. I know this lake. I was out all night on this lake. And sometimes you just, you have bad nights on the lake. Any fishermen in the room? Sometimes you have bad days on the lake. Sometimes they're just not there. You get those nights on the lake. The fifth the fish just aren't biting. The fish just aren't there. And now Jesus is asking Peter to go back out on the lake. And you can kind of hear the, the annoyance in Peter's voice, can't you? Look, we've been out. No fish. They don't just show up again the next day. They're somewhere else. We, we picked, we went to all of our favorite spots. We, we tried all the tricks. Just weren't any fish. But did you notice that Peter addressed Jesus with a title? See what Peter calls Jesus? It's Peter's first title for Jesus. It's Master. Master. This is a word that, that could mean a number of different things in, in its usage back in the, in the ancient world. It was a military word. It could refer to someone who was set over someone in authority, a, a chief or a commander. It was a, a business word. It could refer to someone who was kind of the ancient equivalent of the, the chairperson of a board, kind of the head of a corporation. A political word. It could be used for the president of an assembly or a governor or an administrator of a particular region. It could be as a, used as an economic word, someone who is the keeper of the treasury. It had an, a number of different kinds of usages, and it, and it signifies respect. This is a word of, of respect. Jesus, Peter is saying, is important. He recognizes this. He, he recognizes that Jesus is to be honored. Peter's use of the word gives us some insight into kind of what discipleship was in this time. Because in this time, it would be very common to have a master and an apprentice, or to have someone who was very skilled in a trade, and then you would have someone who was apprenticed to that person. Probably at some point in his life, Peter was apprenticed to a master. Perhaps his father, perhaps a family member, we don't know. But, but 
Peter's familiar kind of with this concept of, okay, this person knows some things that I don't know. This person has a certain level of authority, and I want to honor that person. So he uses this title of master. Masters were people who mastered a trade. They were knowledgeable in an occupation, or they were teachers who possessed knowledge. And those masters would have students who would learn the trade, who would take on the knowledge. And so you had this teacher and student, master and apprentice relationship. And this is kind of how discipleship worked in this time, in apprenticing and trades. But you also had it in religious studies and religious schools. You had rabbis who were the teachers, and you had those who were training to be rabbis who were apprenticed to them. And so Peter, though, I think a bit annoyed, I think a little bit exasperated, he, he expresses a word of honor for Jesus. We learn from this that a master teaches me a skill. This is how masters function. A master teaches me a skill. Think of people in your life, people who influenced you, people who taught you. Maybe you were in a trade and you were apprenticed to someone who, who gave you their wisdom, who gave you their understanding, who told you how to use the tools of the trade. The title that, that Peter uses here reflects how he's viewing Jesus. This is a, a teacher. This is someone that I can learn from. Maybe even through his exasperation, Peter enjoyed Jesus' sermon. And he, and he learned something from Jesus' sermon. But then, then Jesus says, go out on the lake. And it wouldn't surprise me if Peter thought to himself, the lake is my territory. You've got something to teach me, but I know how the lake works. I've been doing this all my life. That's my place. I know how to fish. But he says, if you say so, we'll honor you, master, and I'll push out. And they went out into the lake. And verse 6 tells us that when they did this, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This doesn't just happen. Peter knows the lake. He knows how this works. And this isn't how this works. You don't have a bad night toiling on the lake, getting nothing. It doesn't say they caught a small catch. It said they got nothing. And now you go out back onto the lake in the morning when the conditions aren't ideal for fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and they haul in more fish than they've ever caught before. They have to bring the other boat out, and both the boats are, are, are sinking. Just picture this in your mind. Two boats. A couple of people in each boat, plus Jesus in one of the boats. Full and full and full of fish. They're starting to sink. And Jesus 
is standing there. And what has Peter done now? He drops to his knees before Jesus and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. He starts confessing his sin. I mean, they just caught fish. He knows that this isn't about the fish. There is something miraculous that has happened. Peter drops in the boat at Jesus' feet. And then he addresses Jesus. Did you hear the title that he uses to address Jesus? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is the second title that Peter uses for Jesus. He calls him Lord. And there is a world of difference between master and Lord. Something profound has changed in Peter. Something fundamental has changed in Peter. See, a master teaches me, uh, uh, inspires me, a master encourages me, a master motivates me. But a Lord demands my life. Peter has made a shift from seeing Jesus as master who can teach me some things the Lord who demands my life. I think that too much of our Christianity today teaches Jesus, uh, excuse me, approaches Jesus as a master, but not as a Lord. Too often we, we come to Jesus as someone maybe who can give us tips for living, someone who can give us skills for life, someone who can give us advice for a happy marriage or raising teenage kids, our bookstores are full of books that approach Jesus as a master who can impart knowledge to us, who can give us something, someone who we honor, right? Someone who we respect, someone who we recognize has authority, things that we can learn from. The books that we read, the motivational speeches that we hear, the podcasts that we listen to are full of Jesus as master. if Jesus is approached as master, we don't understand who Jesus is. We don't understand what Jesus has done. Jesus did not come to have apprentices. He didn't come to impart wisdom and knowledge. Jesus came to be the Lord of our lives Jesus came to have disciples. To become a disciple is to make the shift from master to Lord. To call from our hearts like Peter did, O Lord. Not using Jesus as an instrument for what we want, but laying down our lives that our lives might become instruments of what Jesus wants to do in and through us. That is the cry 
of one who cries, Lord. One who recognizes, I don't need skills, I need salvation. I need Jesus to be my Lord. Have you made this shift? Have you made the shift from master to Lord? Are you approaching Jesus like a master? What can I get from my apprenticeship? What can he teach me? What can he train me? What, what can he help me to achieve in life as I determine it, as I want it? Have you made the shift from master to Lord? When I was in college, I made the shift. I have in my hand here a Bible that was my college Bible. And I had a mentor who challenged me on these kinds of questions. And he said to me, Joel, you know what oftentimes we do? We, we take out a sheet of paper. And what we do is we, we put contract with God at the top of that sheet of paper. And then we put our criteria, right? We, we list the things that we want to get out of God. Right, we put things like the career that we want, the income that we want, where we want to live, what, what kind of family we want to have, what kind of experiences we want to have. We write those things down. Then we hand the contract to God and ask that God sign on the line. And what this man said to me was, Joel, here's what you need to do. You need to write contract with God and then have a blank sheet of paper and then put a line at the bottom and sign your name. When we write out our demands, we may honor Jesus, we may call him master, but it's about what we want. When we take the blank sheet of paper that I wrote down, my contract with God, March 22nd, 1995, terms, blank, signed, Joel Lawrence. I've not always honored this contract in all of its fullness, but there is a shift. And I come back to this contract from time to time, and I open this Bible, and I look at this, and I recognize that living as a disciple of Jesus is not about treating Jesus as a master from whom we can learn things for our benefit. It's about dropping before Jesus and crying out, oh Lord, which is a relinquishing of our lives. It's a relinquishing of our very selves that we might truly be followers of Jesus, that we might truly be disciples of Jesus. And so I want to ask you, have you signed on the line? Maybe you need to go home today and get out a sheet of paper and write my contract with God and date it and leave it blank and draw a line and sign your name and give that over to the Lord. Yield yourself to him anew. 
or maybe for the very first time, to say, I want to be your disciple, and I give up everything in calling you Lord. Our Heavenly Father, oh God, I so want to cling to my own life. I so want to be Lord of my own life. I, I want to honor you, but be in charge. I want you to be master, but me be Lord. God, I pray for each one of us that your spirit would, would move in our hearts and that we would truly bow down in our souls before you and cry out, oh Lord, and recognize that you and you alone are worthy to be the Lord of our lives. So Father, I pray for each of us that we would truly give our lives to you, that you might take us and use us for your purposes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.